I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Hi. And welcome back to Old Millennials Season 4. I'm one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijin. And we are a podcast that is a deep dive on shallow topics from the early 2000s. And today for our season premiere, we are going to talk about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart and has been talked about recently since we are still all up in here. America's Next Top Model. But Before we figure out who wants to be on top, I know what it sounds like. Let's do a vibe check. Uh, Pandemic hit us in the middle of recording season three, and now we're like fully remote, just like Google. So um, (laughs) just like Google. We're currently bi-coastal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know we've got separate op- separate remote offices. You know, we're um, telecommuting over time zones. Yep. So yeah, how are how you doing? How are we feeling? Well, as you know, I am currently situated in my parents' basement. Uh, it has been very humid. I realize California Bay Area weather has made me a baby, um, but I am doing okay. It's kind of like it's been interesting, you know, because like my sister's been under the same roof. For a while too so it's like the four of us again for the first time in a really long time other than like Christmas um but yeah I'm all right you know just hanging in there you know drinking some wine right now how about you well in addition to my regular depression and then pandemic depression last oh, yeah. week I got fire season depression which was oh, tight God. And uh, yeah, you know, not being able to open your windows during a heat wave while everything is on fire, literally and figuratively around you. Um, you know, it's difficult to see the positives, but <laughs> it's subsiding, thankfully. But other than that, you know, <laughs> each day is worse than the last. And I really do truly hope that asteroid hits us the day before the election because it'd be doing me personally a favor. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but as we were planning out this fourth season, I think you and I were on a call together and we started like scheduling out everything. And there were dates that we scheduled after the election. And I was like, Jesus, <laughs> like, I am too scared to think about <laughs> what life will look like at that point. <laughs> 
I'm just going to focus on what I can control, and that is the release schedule. And so good or bad, however everything turns out, after that undetermined day that we possibly are going to be hit by an asteroid, you know, either way, we're going to need a distraction. And, you know, what better distraction than nostalgic content? (laughs) So that is what we're here to do. We're not here to dwell on the current events. No, no. We're here to dwell on events of the past that mean absolutely fucking nothing. And isn't that fun for like an hour-ish? I don't know. We kind of go on sometimes, but we're hoping for like around that time. We'll see how we do. We'll see how we do. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, should we just sing the theme song to get us started? Yeah, of course. I'm ready. That was a but also beautiful, just like life. Fantastic. Give us a record deal, America. Oh, no, please do not give me one. I don't. Give it to Emily. Just not me. Do you hear this voice? No, no, no. I can't. I'm an alto, I think. I think Man. you have up. I think you're up first, unless you really want me to go into my personal connection spiel. No, <laughs> I think I'm all right. Um, not that I won't want you to, but I just mean I think I'm I'm good. Um, yeah, I mean, like we're since you had you made the unfortunate mistake of telling me that your intro section was a little light. I was like, don't worry. Especially since your mic crapped out on you. I was like, I have all this extra time to really editorialize all of my notes. So this is fun. <laughs> I'm very excited to hear all about it. But I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about, I don't know, the history of the top model, I guess. Really, you know, like... I was just going to say the journey that led Tyra to creating America's Next Top Model. I mean, truly a journey. This woman, like... Of course, I remember Tyra Banks was a huge deal in the 90s and early 2000s, but like I forgot just how like batshit crazy it was. So, Tyra, let's let's take you through the 90s here. So, Tyra up until this point of the kind of like late 90s, early 2000s had had an incredibly successful modeling career. Starting with her first runway season, she booked 25 shows in 1991 Paris Fashion Week. She then would go on to model for Chanel, Oscar de la Renta, Yi Saint Laurent, Dior, Calvin Klein, Anna Sui, Armani, Is Isaac Mizrahi, Marc Jacobs, etc., etc. And then two years later in 93, she signed a contract with CoverGirl Cosmetics and was heavily featured in their ads, uh, print and TV. And then she would later appear in several fashion editorials for Vogue and all its international offshoots, eventually became the first African-American woman to be on the cover of GQ, the Victoria's Secret catalog. And she was the first black woman to grace the cover of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue in 1997. And then in 97, she also was named Supermodel of the Year at the VH1 Fashion Awards, which always makes me think of Zoolander, because really, when else have we ever thought about the VH1 Fashion Awards? Almost never, even when you said she won Supermodel of the Year, I was like, at what show? Like, where? (laughs) I truly forgot about the VH1 Fashion Awards, and then I remembered, I'm like, Hansel won the VH1 Fashion Awards over Derek Zoolander. (laughs) I'm glad that you pulled that reference out because truly my poor, sad brain was like, is that a Golden Globes thing from the 90s? No, no. I know, like, 
Don't do anything. But yeah, okay. Yes, that makes way more sense. Now that you explained it through Zoolander terms, I understand. Carry on. In terms of acting, speaking of Zoolander, Tyra got her first start in music videos with her debut appearance in Michael Jackson's Black or White video, which you might remember in the Face Morph montage. And then she'd later go on to be featured in Mob Deep's music video for Trife Life, Tina Turner's music video for Love Thing, and George Michael's Too Funky video, which was a lot like Freedom 90 and starred a bunch of supermodels, including her, Linda Evangelista, Estelle Lefebvre, Lefebvre, uh, Emma Sjoberg and Nadja Auerman. And I'm so sorry if I butchered any of those because I sure as hell know I butchered at least two of them. She would go on to have a recurring role in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and has guest starred on The Hewleys, Just Shoot Me, Mad TV, All That, Wild and Out, and The Price is Right as one of the Barker Beauties. So at this point, she also had a few film credits, which we've talked about on this show, including her film debut in John Singleton's Higher Learning in 1995, a starring role in the TV movie Life Size in 2000, iconic, iconic. We've talked about it at least twice on this show. Supporting roles, at least, at least. Supporting roles in Coyote Ugly, which... We'll talk yes. more about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Love and Basketball, which I forgot she was in that. I always remember that Gabrielle Union is in Love and Basketball, but I forget that Tyra is also in Love and Basketball, also in 2000, and Halloween Resurrection in 2002. And then she would go on to start her own production company, Bankable Productions, which was originally known as Tai Tai Baby Productions. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just point out really quickly that the Tai Tai Baby logo is the thing that happens at the very, very end where it's like on like a little giant child wooden dice. And then it's Tyra doing a baby voice saying, not you shut up. And I say that as somebody who's been watching a lot of top model reruns on Amazon Prime. That is not a plug on Prime, but it just is where where it ends up. Um, and I cannot get it out of my head. And I just, because I, I remember when it changed over because it was that for the longest time because that baby mm-hmm, voice was mm-hmm. fucking crazy. Yes. I, don't, I don't like adults with baby voices. It freaks me out. So this, anyway. <laughs> this production company would go on to produce America's Next Top Model along with Tyra Banks Show and the 2008 movie The Click. And then Tyra 19- Banks Show. <laughs> In 1990, which actually a lot of ANTM alums made appearances on during the various seasons. I mean, no shit. There's (laughs) nothing Tyra loves more than a fucking crossover. Built in pipeline, baby. Oh, yeah. In 1998, she co-authored a book entitled Tyra's Beauty Inside and Out. So she was like a quadruple, quintuple threat, whatever you want to call it. But this gets us nicely into the show history. So... The show, America's Next Top Model, will end up starting to air on UPN from 2003 to 2006. The show would eventually make a move to the newly created CW in 2006 when UPN merged with the WB and would live on the CW until 2015 when it was canceled. It would then reboot on VH1 a year later when Tyra hosted until 2018. The show was created by Tyra, obviously, who served as an executive producer alongside uh, Ken Mock, whose 10 by 10 Entertainment also produced the show, and Kenya Barris, who I totally forgot was a part of the Top Model universe. No. No. Totally forgot about what? this. That's I know. wild. I had wild. But you well, look I at also his credits. I had no idea. Yes. 
Yes, I know. I was completely clueless to this too. And it's interesting. So like Ken Mock, of course, always remember his name showing up in the credits after Tyra's. He was known at that point for having been the creator of Making the Band, the first two seasons. So like O-Town, and I believe that would be O-Town. And then I don't remember the next band after that, but um, as well as WWE Tough Enough and a few TV movies, including the Tiger Woods story. Kenya Barris at that point was known for being a writer on the Keenan Ivory Wayne show, BET Live, and the TV show adaptation of Soul Food. So they were both pretty early in their careers. The show would premiere in May of 2003 with two seasons or cycles of the show airing every year up until 2012. And after that, they would switch over to a one cycle per year format. At its peak, Advertisers were paying over $60,000 for a 30-second slot, and this was around like the 2011 to 2012 season, which was the highest of any series on the CW, which like for CW, I was very, very shocked because, I mean, (laughs) the advertising you see on CW, questionable. When it was first canceled on the CW in 2015, it was the last show left on the network that had started its run on UPN. What? So, yeah, I know. I was shocked too. But I guess it makes kind of sense because like I'm thinking of the lineup on UPN around that time in the early 2000s. Like I think Moesha was ending around then and like you might have had like the spinoff, which is the Parkers and Girlfriends, but like I also uh, everybody hates Chris. I think every, was like, yeah. but I don't think that ever carried over to the CW either. I think that ended on UPN as well. I think you're right. That sounds about right. But that's really the history. I was really I thought I would read more. I like searched for so many think pieces, and really most of it was kind of around the formatting of it all, which which is much more your wheelhouse for this episode. But um, that's just a little bit about, you know, how Top Model came to be. I had no idea Kenya Barris was involved, but here we are. That was truly a shock. And then the second shock was that they would get 60K for a 30 second ad in 2012. That wasn't even like the height of the show, or at least not in my mind. And still like post-recession at that point, right? Like not exactly like crazy times. That is, that's very strange. I, I really thought there was going to be more backstory because you know how much Tyra loves to talk about herself. Oh, so you would yes. definitely think there, yes. there would be some sort of, um, oh, how I came up with this idea for the show. I just like woke up one day. Just She gets into all of these sort of long-winded <laughs> explanations, like the, the season where they have to do like the model land book. Like she had this whole fucking concept art about them being on a cave, being in a cave on a beach and like oh their God. motivations for every mm-hmm. character. But she can't have a, compa- she can't even make up a, a compelling story about how she came up with top model other than I was a model. Yeah, anyway, that's, I love, that's I really love all I found. I love Tyra. She is an insane person. I do think, especially in watching the show in the earlier seasons, she's very, she's really, it's impressive what a natural she is at like being a host and doing this sort of reality competition. Okay. So it might, we had to stop uh, (laughs) mid recording because I don't know. I'm typically not the type of person that's like Mercury's in retrograde and shit. But honestly, this whole week, Emily, for me, has just been like one technical disaster after another. Today, my fucking Apple TV crapped out on me in the middle of a workout class, but I fixed it. I'm my own fucking geek squad. I am a champion. I am one of the reward, but I found... 
I remembered, I was like, oh, there's an ethernet port and we have an ethernet cable because I tried fucking Mac is a scam. I tried to connect my ethernet cable from my laptop into the modem, but they don't have those anymore. You have to get like an adapter through Apple in order to do that. But I could do it from my Apple TV to my modem and thank God that fucking fixed it. But in the middle of recording this originally, like, I don't know, six or seven days ago, my mic took a giant dump on us. We and, had and this to... was the second mic that did this to us. Two days prior, I too ran into the same issue. Yes, we've been trying to record this episode for two fucking weeks and technical difficulties continue to befall us. But will we take that as a sign to give up? Absolutely not. Fuck so, no. If Oregon Trail taught us anything, we're down to just change oxen midstream. We don't need no man. We can do this on our own. So we With are back. 100 pounds of cornmeal. <laughs> and if I sound louder, well, then you're welcome. And this is my regular speaking voice. It's because we have a new mic on the scene. So hopefully this is the last of our technical difficulties. But knowing us, that's not true. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, because it's like difficult to just go back into wherever we left off originally. And you even told me that you couldn't even hear parts of what I was saying anyway. So I would have to start from the top of my notes regardless. But it's hard to just get back in there and start talking about someone as who has as much insane energy as Tyra Banks, who is hosting. She kicked Tom Bergeron out of a job and now she's hosting Dancing with the Stars. And have you seen that Dancing with the Stars? Carol fucking Baskin, AJ McLean. Emily, what? this lineup is unwell. It has Michelle from Chris Selling Shaw. Sunset. Oh my god! So, oh my god! So many who's? So many who's? Oh, so uh, many Charles who's. Oakley from The yes. Last Dance. Like just so. Like what is I, happening? I have never watched a season of Dancing with the Stars, but this might actually be my season. I'm thinking, I mean, I might see if there's a league out there I can join, bet some money or something on this. Like, I just cannot believe that we got a season of this show with Chriselle, Carol Baskin, and Charles Oakley. Oh, we're also forgetting Monica from Cheer, who, like, who is going to be able to keep up with her? Oh, she's going to crush everyone. Crush everyone. She is a ringer. She's going to win. Of course, she's going to win. No one stands a chance. Johnny Weir. Johnny fucking Weir is on this season as well. She's the other one. She is going to crush Johnny Weir's dreams. It's She's going to drill it up in Dancing with the Stars. It's insane. But yeah, I saw that lineup and it was just like, it was like they read everybody's like Twitter accounts. They're like, what's the most insane thing that we could do beyond Carol Baskin? Like, we're also going to get Monica. We're like, what the fuck? Oh anyway, God, I can't. Uh, I've never watched Dancing with the Stars. I don't plan to start, but I do look forward to re- watching random clips online whenever they do pop up. But during simpler Tyra times, this is when we're going to travel back. So my relationship to America's Next Top Model, I have on many occasions unironically referred to myself as America's Next Top Model scholar. It's truly shocking that Harvard, Tyra Banks' alma mater, didn't believe me, which is actually even more funny because the Harvard Business School, which is what she attended, is essentially a very elaborate PR stunt to get people to pay a lot of money to get this eight-week degree from Harvard. So they've been using a lot of celebs. Anyway, Who Weekly does a really good take on this, better than me. So we're just going to breeze on past that. Some people have seen every single season of The Simpsons or How I Met Your Mother, but I have seen every single episode of America's Next Top Model, or ANTM, as people in the know call it. 
some episodes more than once and not solely for the purposes of this podcast. I had a podcast about the later, aka dark years of ANTM, which I will touch on later because Emily and I, in these uncertain times, are choosing to focus on the better days of America's Next Top Model. So the show format is sort of legendary because it wasn't like a survivor or an amazing race or whatever. It was Tyra took the how you usually run a beauty pageant, but then made it, she smized it and made it commercial and turned it into a reality competition show that is now essentially like the baseline for a lot of other competition shows, especially RuPaul's Drag Race. And in rewatching some of the early seasons, I was surprised to see RuPaul's former hairstylist on ANTM, Matthew Anderson. But they oh share God. a lot of commonalities. Yeah. Yeah. Namely, they share the commonality of taking the beauty pageant show format and then making it into a reality competition about something even more specific, but just perhaps as shallow if you look at it on the surface. These shows do end up revealing a lot of depth, both of them, RuPaul's Drag Race especially, but also America's Next Top Model, especially in the early seasons when they would talk about really important stuff. I mean, Tyra always mishandled it, but they, you know, got into topics like bulimia and anorexia and body image, especially Tyra, who sort of got not treated well in the tabloids when she like gained weight and stuff. And so she was sort of like a positive body image spokesperson. And then, I mean, never forget the time that she dressed up on her own show in a fat suit to show how fat people get treated differently than regular people. And everybody screamed. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's really it with ANTM. It's like, yeah, it's really, it was revolutionary in that it addressed a lot of topics and just was a whole brand new format of reality TV show. But yeah, there are these cringeworthy moments where, you know, as we were doing the look back, if you will, like it was a little like, oh, this would definitely not fly in 2020. Well, I I mean, I think we saw that even just this year when people were rewatching it and they noticed the blackface episode, not to mention there are so many other problematic things that happen. And I will get into it during my mini recaps of each cycle in the early years, but there's so much stuff that they wouldn't be able to get. I mean, Janice Dickinson alone is such a liability. Oh my God. Oh so, my God. <laughs> she's in rewatching it. She's truly my least favorite part of the show. Cause she just doesn't even say, she doesn't even say anything. She just like says people are fat or that they look like they're giving someone a blow job. She just says like shocking shit for the sake of it. And it's exhausting. Anyway. Yeah. So America's Next Top Model started with nine episodes, but eventually increased to 16 and would have anywhere between 10 and 16 contestants. This number has fluctuated between cycles, and I'm assuming it's due to budget and episode order from the networks that it was on. The model testants are judged and one is eliminated weekly. The decision is based on overall appearance, participation and challenges, which was a huge dramatic point in the show all the time of like, if you refuse to participate in like a nude photo shoot, if you refuse to participate in a challenge because- or the, the makeover. Yes, the makeover was like a huge deal where people openly complained. But then there were also, especially in the early seasons, like openly Christian people who were like, Jesus mm-hmm. wouldn't want me to do that. Yet. Or like this. And I think it was in cycle two, a woman who was like married and had kids. And she was like, I'm not doing that because the only man that's going to see me like that is my husband. It was just sort of like a whole thing. And Nigel asked her to leave. Anyway. So the challenge is sometimes they make it seem like it's a big deal, but in the end, they just sort of like, they like who they like. And if they didn't participate in the challenge, they might turn a blind eye to it. And obviously the whole reason why you watch the show, the best shot from the week's photo shoot. So it kind of breaks down into a couple easy categories for the show. So there's always the contestants. 
as time went on, the casting episode became more and more a staple of the show uh, and sort of like a less mean but just as dumb American Idol event where like we meet the girls and we watch their dreams get crushed or come true in real time and then we watch them argue over beds in a shared house that would become disgusting very quickly but we got to know each one and we would never know which one we were going to be forming some sort of attachment to and if she would make it into a house and Tyra was always sort of celebrated I mean Honestly, in looking back at it, it does feel a little bit culty because like in the first couple of seasons, every time Tyra enters the room, there isn't very much fanfare. But as time goes on, people cheer her on and they're like, oh, my, oh my God, God. Tyra's the best. It's kind of, yeah. It kind of becomes unhinged as time goes on because it really does feel like she's just sort of like, who's that dude? Oh, Bikram Yoga. It sort of like reminds me a little bit of that oh, in some yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned before, there are challenges. So each episode usually begins with the contestants receiving training in an area concurrent with the week's theme. For example, contestants may get coached in a runway walk or in acting classes or having to go for an audition for acting or hosting or even something as simple as like how to dress themselves or how they carry themselves like walking on the street. The related challenge soon follows, such as like a mock or real one runway show or an interview. Sometimes they'll have like people from uh, Extra Extra or they'll have Access Hollywood to like ask them personal questions. There was a season where they were a spoke, their fake quick spokesmodel for secret deodorant, which was like, I remember deodorant or secret deodorant specifically was so targeted towards teen girls from like oh, 2003 yeah. to mm-hmm, 2006. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and you would mm-hmm. see it. On ANTM, it was like that. We talked about it in a previous episode. Lindsay or Lindsay, Lizzie McGuire had like a skinned page on MySpace that was all secret deodorant. It was just sort of funny. But anyway, they had to go out and like sell deodorant to an audience. Anyway, the the challenges are just as wild as everything else on the show. And we're just supposed to buy into the fact that this is like a model's life. Anyway. At the end of whatever said challenge is, there's always a chosen winner. The winner gets some kind of prize. Sometimes it's a massage or it's dinner with Riza, you know, normal stuff. They can usually pick one to two friends to join them, which always hurts someone's feelings and is very hilarious. Like people are like, I deserve to win. And if I won, I would have brought everybody else. And it's like, well, yeah, but you didn't win. So you have to walk home now. Um, the best known and beloved annual challenge, especially for me, are the go because oh, yeah. especially if they're abroad, when they get lost, it's mm-hmm. hilarious. They don't mm-hmm. want to talk mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like borderline offensive the way that they are trying to get around. People bribe people. I mean, it's great. And then people get really offended. People are usually late. I mean, it's so much drama. And I especially love the fashion houses that have no pretenses at all. And they're just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, honey. No. <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, that's really when I, you know, and I'll get, I'll get into it later, but like, that's really where the meltdowns come out really in ANTM are those go see episodes. Like people are tired. People have language barriers. People are dehydrated. It is just a culmination of everything. And then if they show up late, forget about it. Oh, the lateness stuff. It really cracks me up. I mean, especially I think, oh God, there have been, I think it's like Jade, I believe, who waltzes in Hello Late and she's like, I go on my own time. And just that was why Jade was like the best villain. (laughs) But we'll get into it later. I really just appreciate her being like, I don't follow the rules and eat a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Again, the the most important part, why you come here is the photo shoots. Kind of like, you know, the whole reason why you watch the show. The photo shoots, the concepts for them are deranged mm. oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know. 
you're not entirely sure what they're selling because sometimes the end product doesn't necessarily match up with what the vision that Mr. J tells them is. It is, but uh, you know, whatever. The photo shoots are fun. It's always a good time. You don't know who's going to show up. The photographer is always some weird white guy. You know, there's sometimes... Uh, I think I was rewatching the first cycle and I forgot how mean they sometimes were. They made them shoot on the top of a building in the middle of January in New York for JLo's swimwear line. I was like, that's cruel. And everybody, but obviously the people modeling the, the bathing suits were all covered up like, to the brim beanies like giant jackets like, <laughs> you need to not look cold I'm like, you're a dickhead smile like, more wearing a canada goose jacket like <laughs> i just the main note was you have to look less cold i'm like what do you want them to do then get a heater out here what are we talking about the photo shoots oh. also count as like 75 percent of their grade and it wasn't just limited to still photos sometimes they'd have to swap that out with like a music video ahem tyra or a cover girl commercial <laughs> and then lastly, the final segment, the judging, where all the girls stand around and are openly judged by our panel, which sometimes from cycle to cycle, but almost always there's some sort of like industry experts in the mix. Sometimes, and especially in the early seasons, the model testants are called to a quick fire challenge, quote unquote, based on the theme of the week. Like give us three catalog poses or the panel will pretend to be a fake fashion house and they'll quiz them like it's a real go see. Of course, this leads to the best part, which is I only have 10 photos in my hand. Congratulations. You are still in the running towards becoming America's Next Top Model. There's also like the small segment of like international destinations because like the housewives towards the end of every cycle, Tyra takes the model testants to international, sometimes fashion forward destinations that will ultimately decide to or lead to the winner of America's Next Top Model. So I'm also going to go into the judges panels. Like I had mentioned before, they cycle out quite a bit, especially um, cycle one. Almost no one from that except Janice survives into like the next cycle. But then things kind of like solidify. Anyway, we'll get into it. The later seasons of the judging panel. There's some hit, there's some hits or misses, but you can definitely feel the shift, at least in like the quality of feedback as time goes on. So, of course, we have Tyra at the head. She is our host, our creator, with the exception of the one year that Rita Ora hosted. She hosted all 24 or so cycles. Noted photographer Nigel Barker. He was a panel judge from cycles two through 18. Actually stole a noted photographer. He went to go host another very good model show, The Face, with the Naomi Campbell. More recently, he released some sort of book where there's like a bunch of photos that he was taking. I, I didn't write down the name of the book because I didn't care. Then we have Jay Manuel. He was a part of the show from cycles one through 18. So he wasn't like a proper judge, but I would say he's like a foundational character. And I might add the host of Can- of Canada's Next Top Model because he is Canadian. Yes, correct. And he is also from South Africa. He was the creative director, but also a fan favorite. I guess he was a, he was a close friend of Tyra's. He was her makeup artist for a really long time. Uh, This year though, Jay Manuel had a book come out. So he's been doing the rounds and had a very good interview with Danny Pellegrino on Everything Iconic, where he told Danny that he actually tried to leave ANTM after his contract was up after cycle nine, I believe. And he was also hosting ANTM Canada too, but was sort of like forced into coming back. And when he did, Tyra iced him out so he stayed until his contract let contract let him out and anyway that's the tea from mr j he also has a book out that's not wink wink about his experience on antm called the wig the bitch and the meltdown i wrote that down because i was interested in that book (laughs) (laughs) 
We have Kamora Lee Simmons, who only was a part of the judging panel for one cycle. She was an okay judge here, but like I've been saying for years, she'd make a great housewife, uh, specifically for New York. Oh, for sure. You remember that Cribs episode when she was still married to Russell Simmons? Yes. Exactly. And she had the baby with Dinjuman Hinsu and like, you know what? Yes. Just bring her on, please. Drama, fashion, love it. And she seems like she- Yes, thank you. And they need more diversity on that show, especially if they're going to lose Dorinda, who is not diversity, but I just love her. Moving on to my now least favorite person from the judges panel, quote unquote, world's first supermodel, Janice Dickinson, who was a judge, cycles one through four. She has not aged well, no pun intended. Oh, no. That Bachelor episode where she showed up? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, even watching this show, you, you just want to tell her to stop now. Like, this is good. You're good here. Stop here. Because you're <laughs> going to get into cat lady territory if you don't stop. Clearly, no one told her. Or she didn't listen. Whichever one comes first, not sure. But anyway, her comments really are beyond useless and are just so borderline like definitely all misogynistic for fucking sure but also like fat phobic she makes a lot of transphobic jokes that make me super fucking uncomfortable and like i don't even get it and then she's also just i don't know i think she just says wild shit to get a rise out of people so to me that person goes into the category of like i'm just playing devil's advocate i'm like no you're just an asshole just like say you're an asshole and so i just i can't with her then we have shady character nole marin who was part of the judging panel for cycles three and four he was the director and owner at aim model management in new york until the agency was closed in 2016 after declaring bankruptcy from being accused of wage theft by his booking agent and several of his models Oh, there's just a vibe about him that I feel like if you were to watch those cycles, you're like, yes, you seem like a scammer. (laughs) Then there's Eric Nicholson, who only lasted one cycle, cycle two. Do you remember Jane Magazine? Yes, neither do I. And he was a Jane Magazine liaison and looks like an unfunny Seth Meyers. Then we have Jay Alexander, a.k.a. Miss Jay, who was a judge cycles five through thirteen. 5 through 13, and then back again for 21 and 22, but had been with the show since the start. The first cycle, Miss J catwalked into our hearts when they told us their catchphrase was, walk like it's for sale and the rent is due tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have Twiggy, cycles 5 through 9, kind of too sweet to be a judge, but it was kind of nice to see such an iconic model just stoop to this level, kind of for a lack of a better term, just like be on a reality show. But she was always, you know... There was something about her that was just like, I'm going to be the nice one. So she was just sort of there. And then we had Polina Periskova from Cycles 10 through 12. One of my favorite judges of all time. Me just because- too. Was Thank going you. to say the same exact thing. I enjoy her. And in real life, I really like her too. I've read a couple of interviews with her. Really interesting. She was married to Rico Kasich of the Cars for many years. I can't I um, can't and- even get into that because that whole, oh my God, whole death and that's the whole thing. But I also, I love her. I thought that she was one of the best judges because she always gave really good advice. Actually, oddly enough, Polina Periskova and Ashley Graham, who was a judge later on, gave great advice because they were working models and they were able to give feedback that is actually constructive and helpful for people who are starting out in the model business versus like, you know, I don't like that pose, which is not feedback. It's just an opinion that you're saying and pretending is feedback. So I really, really love her. The Rico case sick shit is tragic, but she's great on off the screen. I understood why she left though. 
In the first cycle, we also have Bo Quillian, who was a Marie Claire liaison, kind of like a non-starter. I, I don't recall. I just finished watching the first cycle. I don't recall him giving any sort of um, pertinent feedback or even making any sort of impression. And then I tried to look him up and I found absolutely nothing. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> and then... Another favorite judge, Andre Leon Talley, who was part of the show from cycles 14 to 17. And the second autofill option when I typed in Andre Leon Talley is, was, is alive, to which I say fucking rude by Chiffon Trenches. I hear it's very good. Uh, Tyra asked him to join the panel after the first season, but he wasn't really convinced that the show had legs. So we waited eight years and then decided to say fuck it and join for <laughs> two cycles. He also was one of the best judges because he gave great usable feedback and was just sort of like fabulous and funny. So and could be bitchy and shady and have it not be offensive. <laughs> All right. So now that we've become acquainted with the show format and the players of the game, we're going to go into each of the cycles, cycles one through what's your last season? I'm 13. Uh, yeah. OK, so we're going to go through the cycles one through 13. We're just going to give some brief highlights, some overviews, what people remember from the show. And I'm going to kick things off with cycles one through six. I'm going to take you down nostalgia lane. The water's great. Let's just jump in. In my recent rewatch, it's really struck me that ANTM is kind of like Laguna Beach slash the hills of reality competition shows. The drama is really like more background noise to the and to the greater reason of why they're there, which is modeling. Even serious topics like your family disowning you because of your career choice, eating disorders, and alcohol abuse are all talked about in passing, sort of like housewives. Or they're used against you in an argument, but everybody forgives and forgets quickly because they don't want to get roasted at the judging panel later. So everybody is there and focused on modeling. And it's all that they talk about. And so that's why even serious shit gets sort of dropped by the wayside because everybody is just so consumed with winning. It's very much, I found, like, it that drama from, in most cases, around people's issues and struggles that they're dealing with will not last longer than, like, a 20-minute segment in an episode. Like, we'll forget about it. It, may, it will never get mentioned again. Yeah, totally. It's true. I feel like everybody sort of gets amnesia. They get, like, um that little pen from Men in Black, like, every 20 minutes. And, like, what? Okay, yeah. let's go. It just, it's sort of baffling. Because there's some stuff that they accuse people of that would really upset me. I mean, there are... Uh, I believe it's cycle three where there's Cassie. She kind of takes the bulimia stuff, you know, the way that you would expect a regular person to take it. But she also doesn't deny it. She she just doesn't see a problem with it, which is like a different kind of disturbing. But yeah. anyway, a note on the early cycles. Similar to the first season of most reality shows, nobody knows what the hell they're doing. So ANTM is not really an exception. It's extremely pure and way more earnest. Like, it seems like they also get a lot more real-world training. And generally, in terms of quality of prizes and model personalities and guests, the level is kind of a higher quality. They have Wyclef Jean, an old dirty bastard. And in the later seasons, they're only able to get, like, the property brothers and, like, people off of YouTube. So you could kind of, if you've seen the whole oeuvre, you can see that, like, the beginning is so strong. But they should have, I don't know, probably quit way sooner than when they did. Anyway, each season has a theme, quote unquote, and their group photos, the, the ones where like they put it up at the end and then a girl vanishes every week. Like she's like a missing <laughs> poster. It's so fucking funny. It's like such like gone girl weirdness. They're yeah. just like, it's like, I'm a ghost. <gasps> yes, the wind. The wind is so funny to me. Did the mic pick it up? <laughs> <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. No, good, good, good. 
Yeah, so they're literally ghosted from the picture at large. So that group picture has a larger theme. And if you're an eagle eye viewer like yours truly, by the Photoshop placement, you can sometimes tell who the top three are. They're usually on the outskirts, but towards the middle of the group. It's just ANTM science. Don't question Mm -hmm. me. Okay, so we're going to start things, obviously, where they begin. Cycle one in 2003, where the winner was Adrian Curry and the runner up was Shannon Stewart, who I forgot was so annoying. And yes, she has way too many teeth, like just like the toothiest smile. And she's always happy. And especially right now, seeing somebody happy and smiling, being like, Jesus will fix it. You're like, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Tell Jesus to fix 2020. It's just like, I, I, I don't know. Just watching her be happy just really irritated me. <laughs> The cycle's catchphrase was one girl has what it takes. And I love that Tyro kind of like uses cult logic of just like one of you is very special and the rest of you are plebes. <laughs> the model. So the prizes were and you will hear the dip start to happen at some point. But the, the prizes at this point in time were a contract at Wilhelmina Models, a photo spread of Mary Claire and a contract with Revlon Cosmetics. What's notable about the first cycle is how low budget it is. They hold the judging sessions in the conference room of a fucking Hyatt. I mean, you should see the jank curtains, these like weird blue curtains that make no sense. The room, Emily, is so small that when they can't even actually, you know how they make them step to the side in later seasons? They can't even step to the side. They just step back with the other people. but But I feel like, yeah. Drag Race was the same way, though. Like, the first season, it's like, oh. <laughs> and then the change to second season. Yep. The Vaseline on the lens year. The lost year, because for the longest time, you couldn't find that first season of Top Model, or not Top Model, of uh, Drag Race. So I found that to be very funny and very sweet that it was, like, so low budget. And, I mean, I could spend 100 hours talking about the fashion and never, ever scratch the surface. Tyra wore something to when she announced the winner that honest to God made me scream last night when I watched it. It was a see-through long sleeve black shirt, but wasn't quite, didn't quite fit. Like, and then she had a low slung, remember low slung skirts? Why was that a thing? That was like asymmetrical and striped and then had the seam down the middle and her hair. Don't, I don't like, it's, I, I mean, I respect the hustle. Like Tyra definitely gets her hair done once a week and then like, you know, ties it up like in a bonnet at night and sleeps with it and then keeps it going. But like, you can see it sometimes and you're like, Tyra, you're wealthy. You don't need to do this. Like get a different wig or something. I don't know. But anyway, it's just the fashion, the boot cut jeans, the amount of boot and then the low rise jeans, some of these sky tops, the necklaces are hideous. They're all statement necklaces. They all look like they're from Luann's QVC collection. I mean, like I said, conservatively, 100 hours, and I would not eat. I would get through maybe two or three cycles. The clothing, it makes you crazy. The lace camisole tank tops, remember when that was a thing? Yep. It's just so upsetting. <laughs> I oh just my God. Anyway, they're in New York for the first few cycles, which I think kind of helped give the show some credibility. And so in this season, there are a few intermodel... T- inner model testant feuds going on there's the atheist dr elise versus the three christians shannon robert and kessie ebony versus the house (laughs) and the first to declare that she is not here to make friends the drama is that she didn't want to tell the girls who had won some prize and had already left the apartment that they had tyra mail telling them they had to be up at seven o'clock in the morning and then there's robin's body versus the judges where they openly call her fat to her face and too old because she dares to have a butt and be over the age of 23 The standout shoot 
were the naked diamond shoots. There were a few naked shoots this cycle. And then, as I had mentioned before, the sub-zero temperature JLo bathing suit shoot, which was a total fucking yikes. <laughs> and I was like, one of these girls is going to catch pneumonia. And they're, what are we going to do then? Anyway. Their international destination was Paris, which was really nice. I didn't realize that they actually went to a fashion capital. But lest you forget, because Tyra will remind you every single fucking season, when she was 15, she went to Paris all by herself. And she booked 27 shows all by herself. And that put her name on the map. And don't worry, she will remind you. And she's going to show that passport photo of her that got her a job because she didn't have enough stuff in her portfolio to actually have a real model book conservatively seven million times throughout the course of this entire oh, show. Yes. yes. Something of note, almost all of these girls go on to have some sort of short-lived modeling career after the show, which I think is quite notable. Adrian Curry definitely made her fame last a lot longer, I believe, than anybody would have thought, but she was like a legit model for a while, then went on the surreal life and then married Peter Brady. And then they had a toxic relationship oh, Then they got divorced. My Brady. Yes. Yeah. And I forgot about this, but maybe, maybe you'll... This will trigger a memory for you, but remember how uh, they got, they had a gothic wedding, sort of like Carmen oh, Electra yeah. and Dave Navarro, yeah. a gothic wedding in a Catholic church. Um, so that's cool. Adrian Curry isn't a model anymore. Uh, she like does pot stuff and like has a lifestyle brand and like lives in Montana and married the dude who does, who has like a move. He does like movie trailer voiceover stuff, which, you know what? Great. Sounds good. <laughs> I don't know what Shannon's up to because I didn't look it up, but I did look up Elise because I was very curious because when she gets eliminated, she's like, <laughs> modeling is just like so stupid. I'm just like going to go to med school and like be a doctor. It turns out she didn't become a fucking doctor. So guess who gets the last laugh? Me, because I fucking knew that shit. She, I guess she was big like in Asia and then lived in Korea for a time and then came back and did... She dated somebody from Death Cab for Cutie and then did like a model lecture circuit. And then they turned her live journal blog complaining about the fashion industry into a book. And then the blog got deleted. And then she married some other dude and has a baby and I think lives in New Mexico now or something. But hmm. she was always very interesting because I did think that she had a great look. And I always thought that her her audition, they were like, why won't, didn't you go to med school? She's like, well, I can be a doctor anytime, but I won't be 21 forever or whatever. And I was like, that's a smart answer. And so when she got eliminated, it's like, she's not going to go be a doctor. Who are we kidding? But the first cycle was good. Again, Janice Dickinson is unbearable. But I think that cycle two is definitely one of my favorite seasons. I think it's tied with cycle five, which is probably my, my favorite season. So cycle two premiered in 2004, and the winner was Johanna House, and the runner-up was Mercedes Yvette. The cycle's catchphrase was, they are all gorgeous, but only one has what it takes. So basically, they recycled the last cycle's catchphrase. The prizes for this cycle was a contract with IMG Models, a fashion spread and cover with Jane Magazine, and a cosmetics campaign with Sephora. This is the cycle where we have the infamous quote of, you had sex? <laughs> but what's... <laughs> But honestly, in rewatching this, what was more shocking to me was that April, the overachiever, wins a dinner that <laughs> wins a dinner with ODB and Riza, and Shandy hits it off with one of their friends. It's wild. It is so <laughs> weird. And it is so not even mentioned. They're like, yeah, we just like went out to dinner with like part of the Wu-Tang clan. And then they show a clip of everybody laughing at like ODB literally doing stand-up. Like he's standing up at the head of the table, like telling jokes. It's in an insane thing. And then Shandy's like cuddling with a different rapper in the back of like a limo. I'm like, what am I watching? And why don't I remember this? What's even wilder uh, is that they used to weigh them under the guise of physical fitness and they would have a coach. I forgot to mention this too in cycle one as well. They had like a personal trainer come and work them out. 
during the week, which I was just like, ugh, gross. Um, another highlight that I w- that gets overshadowed by the you had sex moment is um, when they had an acting class and every single one of them ended up sobbing, not even just in tears, but sobbing. And what was even more comical, like straight up out of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Camille, who was like the quote unquote villain, had an allergic reaction that day. So before the acting class, she went to Walgreens to go get Benadryl. She comes in and she sees everybody sobbing and she just stops dead in her tracks. She's like, um, what? I thought I was going to an acting class. And then everybody's like, God, Camille's so cold because she wouldn't cry. And she's like, I don't, I missed the part that made everybody cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Another standout moment from Cycle 2, the music video for Shake Your Body Body, Move Your Body Body, Shake Your Body Body, Move Your Body Body. Eh. We get into it on our music video about Tyra, Tyra's quote unquote music career. So you can just check that mini out. Uh, another great model testant. I'm just going to run through a couple of them. We have uh, Crybaby Katie, who cried when they cut her hair and then cried when they made her like put on a harness and be like floating above a hole in the ground. <laughs> she just was like, it's hard. She was like cried all the time. Uh, the woman that I mentioned earlier who refused to do the very first shoot that was like semi-nude. Then we have Je- Janessica. I forget how we say her name. The girl that was like a Hooters uh, waitress oh, who right. was trying yeah. out. Yeah. She hated everybody because they forgot to wake her up for their first sh- One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I, what I took away the most is that I ended up liking Camille way more and Joanna ended up getting on my nerves a lot because Joanna likes to complain and it was like really, really insecure. And so I could kind of see from Camille's point of view where she's just like, dude, just fucking grow up and stop complaining. She just complained a lot and was kind of a lot more mean-spirited. She kind of likes to play this like, I was fat and now I'm skinny and I'm a model. It's my dream to be a model. But she's kind of bitchy. Also, yeah. more recently, I looked up what Joanna was up to. And one of the search results is like, Joanna has a new face or something to that effect. And I guess a year or two ago, people were like, Joanna had a lot of plastic surgery. And if you look at these recent pictures of her, um, yeah, it looks like she's had quite a bit of Botox. But you know what? Uh, who's As soon as I can get Botox, who are we kidding? Anyway, yeah. right? 
Obviously, they had an iconic stay in Verona where Shani was feeling herself and got herself some Italian Vespa D, which ended in her and her, her boyfriend, her causing a big oh. enough rift to throw her off to the point where she sort of choked towards the end. Or else I definitely think that she had the most high fashion look, especially that sunglasses shoot that they had in the old Coliseum. I was like, she's a fucking star. How is she not going to not win this? So Joanna and April had the most successful post ANTM careers. In addition to modeling, Joanna also did some acting in Posting. Now she's married with a kid and then all that wild headline stuff. April went on to do a lot of work overseas, but also had a couple of features like they did um, a post episode after cycle two ended, which they didn't do ever again, but would appreciate it. But they yeah. caught up with all of like the last five girls. And it turned out that like April was doing like stuff magazine. Remember fucking stuff magazine. I and do. she made like some hot lists and some other stuff. So she worked a lot towards after ANTM and a lot of people had more success not winning ANTM than if they did. And then we have Cycle 3, which premiered in September 2004. This was around the time where they started to split the season. And so they would do it twice a year instead of just once a year. So the winner was Eva, the diva. And the runner-up was Yaya yeah. DaCosta, who played Whitney Houston in the Lifetime biopic in 2018. And is currently in one of those Chicago shows, Fire, PD, I forget. She's done a lot of acting. Like, I'm pretty sure she was in a movie that I saw a couple years ago called The Kids Are All Right with, like, Julianne Moore and Annette Benning and Mark Ruffalo. Oh, my God. You're right. Yeah. Yes. She shows up in a lot of things. She does. She's, I mean, she did the successful transition from acting to modeling. Or, I'm sorry, the other way around. Modeling to acting. My bad. The cast was increased to 14 contestants, and the season's catchphrase was Beauty in Progress. This year they had, or I'm sorry, this cycle, because it's still 2004, they had a modeling contract with Ford Models, a fashion spread and cover in Elle magazine. So the Elle magazine, huge upgrade. But the biggest upgrade was a $100,000 contract with CoverGirl Cosmetics. This is the mm. first cycle to have CoverGirl as a sponsor. This is also the first cycle that they have like a plus size model that they don't call fat to her face, Takara, who honestly, upon rewatch in her face, looks a lot like Megan Thee Stallion. Just going to put right. that out there. She's one of my standouts that I'll talk about later. <laughs> I love her. She's so... I forgot how fun she was. She is great. She was fantastic. A real highlight of the season. Deserved better. And then another model test... Two model testers that you might remember beyond Takara and Eva and Yaya. Amanda, who was legally blind, and Anne, who wanted to be a model so, so bad, but it just did not fucking want her back. We have the classic drama that I believe is... What, when you think about ANTM, honestly, this is the ep this episode alone is one of the ones that I think of. We have bulimic Cassie who refuses to deal with her open eating disorder, which led to a whole low-carb brownie debacle. And carved clean your shit in there, which led to Yaya wearing a respectful t-shirt around the house. And then they had to run up a flight of stairs and have their photo taken. And then the model testants with the slowest times had to walk all the way home. <laughs> that to me is a classic America's Next Top Model episode in a nutshell. It's like in like really like hardcore real life issues coupled with like the dumbest fucking drama you've ever seen completely manufactured by Tyra and her thinking that it's something that a model needs to know how to do. Other iconic photo shoots, the tarantula with the diamonds, pretty much every moment, pretty much that moment you knew that Eva was going to win. The international oh destination that year was Tokyo. Then we have Cycle 4 in 2005, which Naima Mora won with the runner-up Kellen Rondot. The location moved from New York to Los Angeles, and the catchphrase of this season was, dive in. It was pretty much the same prizes as before, a modeling contract with Ford Models, spread in Elle magazine, and then the CoverGirl stuff. 
<clears throat> I had to clear my throat for this because obviously. Be quiet, oh. Tiffany. Be quiet. What is wrong with you? Stop it. I have never in my life yelled at a girl like this. When my mother yells at me like this, it's because she loves me. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How <laughs> dare you learn something from this? When you go out of bed at night, you lay your head there and you take responsibility for yourself because nobody's going to take responsibility for you. You rolling your eyes. It's because you've heard it all before. You don't know where the hell I come from. You have no idea what I've been through, but I'm not a victim. I grow from it. I learn from it. Take responsibility for yourself. <sighs> Iconic. Thank you. Yeah, it's just, you know, there are so many speeches from reality TV I would use as a monologue if I were an actor, and this is one of them. The other one is from Real Houses of Dallas, and it goes a little something like, he gets his dick sucked at the round up. <laughs> so <laughs> you can see why they're in the same category. More than that, this season <laughs> is when they bafflingly have a blackface got milk shoot. Oh, gosh. <laughs> there is also the chick, Rebecca, who faints at panel. Then we have oh, Kenya, yeah. who gets sexually harassed by a male model on set in Cape Town because their yeah. destination was in Cape Town, South Africa. There's not really too much more to cycle for. That really is what everybody remembers and loves to quote and talk about. Tiffany had an interview with BuzzFeed a couple of years ago where she talked about that moment in her life. And, you know. It's not. It's funny to us, but I don't think it's very funny to her then or now. Uh, we have cycle five. What? I'm just being honest. It, it no, like it's it, true. It's not like it kind of fucked her up and then it sort of like ruined her career because she's always going to be the girl that got yelled at by Tyra. And, yeah. you know, everybody thinks it's very funny, but she's sort of had to overcome it and then also felt like Tyra took advantage of her and manipulated her. And because of the editing, she wasn't rolling her eyes in that moment. And anyway, it sort of sounds like, you know, producer machinations coupled with Tyra is an egomaniac. And, you know, reality TV I mean, she doesn't bring out the best in people. No, I mean, she's on, you go to any single America's Next Top Model, like best of list or top like moments or whatever. It's always on that top of the list in terms of like rewatchable moments, because that's the one. It, I mean, it's a meme. It, it continues to live on. So Cycle 5 premieres later in 2005 in September. This sees Nicole Linklater as the winner and the runner up Nick Pace. I loved Nick. She was so sweet. Janice Dickinson was finally fucking replaced by Twiggy, and Nole Marin was scammed out of the way by original scammer and runway coach Miss J. Alexander. The cycle's catchphrase was bling it on. This is when it starts to make less and less sense. Because at least the first two <laughs> oh. cycles were like the same version of the same thing. And then Tyra just is just like, whatever, I don't fucking know. I, Let marketing I can't wait to at share CW. Mine. Oh, Lord. <laughs> cannot wait to but share. She, <laughs> I can't wait either because they're probably even more insane than I remember. Uh, same prizes as before. Ford models. L oh. Ford models downgrade to L girl, but still $100,000 and a CoverGirl cosmetic contract. The international destination during the cycle was London. However, the final runway show was filmed in LA due to the 7705 London bombings, which I remember because I was supposed to go to France to go visit family that day, but I had my flight canceled because of it. The cast size, though, was reduced for, by one from 14 to 13, and it remained that way all the way until cycle 10. The house that the girls stayed in... Uh, for the first half of the competition was later used for the first season of Rock of Love with Brett Michaels, which I talked about in a Medium post. Uh, the sixth place runner-up, is it a runner-up if you're in sixth place? Whatever. Lisa DiMatteo, who <laughs> placed sixth, <laughs> would later claim Lisa. to- Lisa. Lisa. Which, like, oh, God, poor Lisa. I mean, she just gets, 
everybody's so mean. I remember thinking that it was sort of justified at the time, but in rewatching it now, it kind of feels cruel. Like people call her old to her fucking face. It's just awful. Anyway, she places this this cycle, but then would come back and win all stars in cycle 17. Some iconic moments, Cassandra getting the Rosemary's baby cut, but not the way that Tyra wants it. And so when they ask, when they tell her to kind of cut her hair shorter, she refuses. And so she gets eliminated. Every season there are like, there are at least two to three girls who are way too attached to their hair. Then we've got Brie dumping out all of Nicole's Red Bull in retaliation for eating her granola. Lisa's quote unquote drinking problem and her having a full blown conversation with the shrub or is it a fern? I don't remember. It's dark out there. And the girls using concern as a way to make fun of Lisa to her face and behind her back. Other fan faves from this season are Brie, Kim, and Diane, who was also the uh, plus size model for this cycle. Some of the memorable shoots were posing with the Ford Fusion as a 1940s pinup. The Steve-O Wild Boys shoot, which was very dumb and made no sense, but one that I actually really liked was like the semi-nude crowded in a London phone booth shoot. I thought that was like a really fun one. Now we're in cycle six. You're almost done having to listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Cycle six premiered the following year in 2006. The winner and oh, I'm sorry. Cycle six and cycle two are my favorite cycles because I fucking love the winner and the runner up. They are my two of my favorite model testants, Danielle Evans and Joni Dodds. This is the last cycle to air on UPN before they merge with the WB to create the CW. The catchphrase for this cycle Fairy tales come true. Honestly, it makes way more sense than bling it on. <laughs> Still the same prizes, except they re-upgrade to L Magazine proper instead of L Girl. This is peak ANTM, kind of when they're firing on L cylinders. It's like it feels like the show is like getting started, right? Because we have clear heroes. We have Danielle and Joni. Then we have the obvious villain with Jade. And then we have Sarah, who will never let you fucking forget that she was discovered in a, in a mall and didn't ask to be a model. I feel like Jade is one of the all-time great reality show villains. Her cover girl non-commercial commercial is camp her inability to take not one ounce of direction and her mother clearing her chakras on camera i mean it doesn't get better than this it just doesn't also the house that they stay in is famously fucking haunted it's the house where the black dahlia murder murderer allegedly lived it's a frank lloyd wright house in los Feliz that they can't sell because it's so fucking haunted and they can't rent it out for longer than a shoot is worth because nobody wants to live in that haunted ass fucking evil house memorable moments gina getting hella drunk on the first night and throwing up everywhere nena making out with a male model in a picture the crumping for Payla shoes shoot. Wow. <laughs> it's just so many white girls with no rhythm and it's like wet and people are crumping. It's just, it's awful. It just, it looks like an outtake from like a Juggalos convention. It's insane. Richard and Ron Harris, the a Swirl Twins, and also the traditional Thai dance challenge, where again, Jade refusing to take one ounce of direction and just... <laughs> doing whatever the fuck she wants and Feranda interpreting Thai dance into I actually really enjoyed Feranda's performance but it was not the challenge anyway I also really liked Feranda she was very funny iconic photos the falling fairy tales I think that's when you started to see Jody and Danielle as like the emerging frontrunners their future or would-be careers if they weren't a model I just remember Sarah's photo because it just looked like a softcore porn photo like because she's just like a sexy lawyer and you can't even really tell she's a lawyer she's she's like a sexy office person it's very funny and then the shoot from their international location of Thailand was like the mermaid in a net 
during one of those or at um, like an outdoor market. Great photo. Great shoot. I love cycle six. It's amazing. And now I can finally have you tell me about some insane <laughs> quote unquote catchphrases. They're not catchphrases from cycles past. Oh, no, they're called season catchphrases. So cycle I know, seven. but they don't, they don't feel they, like I it, mean, you know? They don't. Spiritually, it's not right. No, no, not at all. I think the person who came up with the idea for this being a catchphrase, I, I do not want to know who, but uh, would be <laughs> fascinated. Um, this season for cycle seven, the season's catchphrase is the competition won't be pretty. And the promotional theme song is hot stuff. I want you back by pussycat dolls. So this is a season. Yes. Yes. These songs are wild. Some of these are bops. Others. I'm like, what? Um, (laughs) Carrie D this is the season where Carrie D English was the winner, but Melrose Baker staff was the runner up. And again, like I know you were saying you rewatched all these episodes. I did some rewatching as well. And I remember at the time being very like team Carity over Melrose, but like rewatching, I'm like, Melrose is clearly the person who should have won out of the two. The final challenge, which I of course watched, was a Ghost Bride fashion show along with, you know, whatever Cover for Girl final print challenge. But truly the Ghost Bride fashion show in which they have to just scream was fascinating. Melrose <laughs> oh, was no. Def- <laughs> Melrose, who, by the way, her real name is Melissa Rose. And so she changed it to Melrose. Um, she's way more runway, but um, as ANTM sometimes does, they tend to go with the more print uh, friendlier face for the uh, winner. The prize here was a $100,000 contract with CoverGirl, um, modeling contract with Elite Models, and a six-page fashion editorial and cover for Seventeen Magazine. Fun fact that Wikipedia pointed out is that Carity is the first natural blonde to win ANTM, which I had not thought of, but yay, as a, as a blonde. <laughs> um, look, Melrose did not win herself any fans this season. As Tyra Best said, honey, this is the first week. If you're a bitch, hide it. But ultimately, I do believe that Melrose was robbed in this case. This is also the season that featured the twins, Michelle and Amanda Babin, who were consecutively eliminated one week after the other, as well as Anshul Joseph, who would later go on to be a brief- briefcase model on Deal or No Deal in 2018. Oh, the twins I didn't know got. That. Yeah, I didn't either. I hadn't heard of like from Anshul in a really long time, but I think she and Carrie D are still friends, as I saw on Instagram. The twins, if you remember the twins, they got the edit that often gets featured on this show, not usually obviously with sisters, but when Tyra talks to the bottom two contestants during elimination, there's always, sometimes there's the case where it's like, one of you is not the natural talent here, but is fighting so hard and wants it more than anything. The other one of you two is a natural talent, should definitely be a model and has the look, but just doesn't seem to care. And the twins definitely got that edit where one of them, Michelle, was always the one with the more natural talent, but the lack of passion. And then Amanda was the one who was not as talented, but she put in the effort. And I found, I forgot that that's a big edit that they love to do on that show, especially when two people are on the chopping block like there's always going to be that contrast yes there's the one that's like not as good or doesn't take as strong of pictures but has the drive and wants to learn yeah they love to do that shit what else do I have to say about this season I mean really Carity this is one of those seasons where like she I think had a little fame for after the show but really uh I was looking at her runway credits after and it was like her runway credits include JC Penny 
Jordy Scott, Snoopy in Fashion, the General Motors Style Auto Show, and L'Oreal oh Fashion God. Week in Toronto. <laughs> what? Just like What's really, L'Oreal? really. Very... What the fuck is L'Oreal Fashion Week in Toronto? I I don't know, and I don't care to find out. Um, it yeah. looks like she did she did do a Christian Siriano show about ten years ago, so at least there's that. Um, and then she became a national spoke a spokesperson for the National Psoriasis Foundation. I forgot that she had psoriasis, um, and she showed up in a lot of magazine ads um, a couple of years after the show. But that's that really like the highlight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really the highlight for Cycle Seven for me. Just that I really thought ultimately Melrose should have won over Carrie D. Um, yeah, definitely. Of, yes. In terms of cycle eight, and I have some fun, where are they now for Melrose that I'll talk about later. Um, cycle eight, the cycles promotional tagline was welcome to the jungle ladies. <laughs> no, no, nope, nope, yes. nobody. Knows. Yes. They oh, get boy. two promotional songs, uh, Danity Kane's One Shot and Shiny Toy Guns La Disco, which I had on a Remember lot of playlists. Remember Shiny yes. Toy Guns? Shiny oh Toy Guns. I feel oh like Shiny God. Toy Guns and the Ting Tings like, belong in like this world the of ting like- ting? How yes. dare you? How dare you say that to me in the year of our Lord 2020? I had forgotten about both of these bands, but now I can j- just taste the pop-off vodka in the back of my throat, just mm. hearing those band names. Mm. That's uh, not my name. Listen to someone like burned mix CD at like a shitty house party. Yes. Right. yes. Yeah. Cool, yes. cool. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> the winner of this cycle was Jasmine Gonzalez, with runner-up being Natasha Galkina. I miss said her name there. It's Natasha Galkina. Uh, the win, the prize here, representation by Elite Model Management, hundred thousand dollar contract with CoverGirl, and then the photo shoot with Seventeen. Jasmine notably had made it to the semifinals of Cycle Seven, but was not cast. Um, and then she became the first winner without any bottom two appearances. Like I remember Jasmine being super strong and Natasha too, for that matter. And the finale episode attracted more than 6.6 million viewers, which was a record at the time for the franchise in CW. Wow. Jasmine, that is a lot. Yes. Yep. And Jasmine, fantastic throughout the season. And she may have been the one who won the cycle, but the most memorable moment for me comes from Brittany. So, in the previous episode, we learned that Brittany uh, was hit by a car as a teenager and therefore suffers from short-term memory loss. So Dory from Finding Nemo can't learn her cover girl lines. And I realize that's really mean, uh, but <laughs> she also can't remember times or directions during the ghosty episode and can't oh, remember no. the building number. Yes. Oh, no. Which I do feel you bad. Gotta she actually, you got to memento that shit, obviously. I know. Write it down. Uh, Get a tattoo course, Write it down. That's the thing. If she actually had this accident, I don't want to be a jerk, but have a pad of paper. Like, this is an easy thing, I, an easy thing to fix. Very Emily, easy how, thing to fix. How old is she during this cycle? Probably 19. <laughs> Well, then I guess she hasn't quite figured out the coping mechanisms just yet or is maybe in denial about the severity of it. If she were like 21 or over, I'd be like, okay, if this happened when you were 16, you better have figured it the fuck out at this point or else you're not going to make it just generally. But yeah, I mean, you got to you got to memento it. You either got to get some Polaroids, get a tattoo gun, get a pen at the very least. But you got to you got to fix it. I totally forgot about that chick. Is this also the cycle where that girl is like there are some countries have war? Is that? Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to bring up. Okay, so when Brittany 
because of this, she gives the taxi driver the wrong directions, arrives late to the final destination. She proceeds to, when she gets to the door and realizes she's late, she proceeds to slam her binder on the ground and has an insane meltdown because she was late to the final meeting and was automatically disqualified as a result. Natasha, who is also disqualified, says the best line in the season during this meltdown I just want to tell you that some people have war in their countries. (laughs) It's almost as good as uh, that scene from the, that scene, (laughs) that like meme from Keeping Up the Kardashians where Courtney is like, Cam, some people like have war in their country or whatever she fucking says. <laughs> Cause she's like crying about her earrings falling to the bottom of the pool or some shit. It's very funny. I probably butchered that, but that I'm fine with it. <laughs> Cycle nine was the third season to be, to air on CW. The promotional tagline is the future of fashion. And the promotional song is shut up and drive by Rihanna, which is a great song. That's um, a good get. That's a good get. That's a good get. Uh, winner is Salisha Stowers. Runner-up is Chantal Jones. Um, same winning prizes as earlier. The most memorable models for me uh, included 21-year-old Heather Kuzmich, who has Asperger's syndrome. Um, and she has one of my favorite quotes of the season when she talks about what, when they get to Shanghai for the destination portion of the cycle. Quote, Shanghai is like no other city I've ever been to except for maybe Vegas. <laughs> Bianca Golden got the villain edit this season and clashed with like several other contestants, including Heather. I will say that I appreciate how hard Bianca worked to get better throughout the cycle. Like the growth for her is just fantastic. Mm Later, though, after this show, this cycle ends, she, in 2008, uh, Nikki Blonsky from the movie Hairspray and her family got into a racist altercation at an oh airport my God. in Turks and Caicos oh with Bianca Emily. and her family. I had totally forgotten about this. I remember reading about it 10 years ago, but totally forgot about that. And Nikki Blonsky's dad was arrested on assault charges yes. because he punched her mother. And yes. Golden, uh, Bianca Golden and Nikki Blonsky were both charged with actual body harm and were both released with $6,000 bail. Um, but like looking back, I mean, as we all know, we we make a lot of fun of Nikki Blonsky from the movie Hairspray because we're both hooligans. But um, yeah, not a good look. I mean, Nikki Blonsky and her dad, fuck them. <laughs> not to constantly quote uh, Housewives, but in the words of... Jordan Medley, everybody has behaved very poorly. <laughs> yes, yes. This is also the last cycle where Twiggy was featured as a judge. Um, in the next seat cycle, she will be replaced by Paulina Poroskova, which leads in nicely to cycle 10, uh, where the winner was Whitney Thompson and the runner-up was Anya Kopp. Um, Whitney, of course, being the first plus-size model to win the show. Um, there were a few major changes that happened this season, and it was the return to New York season, so they made like a, a big kind of thing about it. Um, then the number of contestants was also increased to 14, um, so they added an extra one. And Twiggy replaced Paulina Poroskova because there were some scheduling conflicts. Um, Nothing really different about the prizes here. While I'm all about body representation and having models of different sizes win the show, I always feel like the plus size models usually get shafted on this this show. Whitney didn't win that many challenges in the cycle. And I think there could have been better plus size models who could have won their cycles in the show's history. Like Takara was a far better model, in my opinion. She was just given a shitty situation with the with the various photo shoots and people not having clothes for her 
But for me, Whitney was gorgeous, but just like was not, I don't think should have been the, the first plus size model to win top model. My favorite quotes, uh, I one is Dominique on this uh, cycle who says, I want to be like freaking Mother Teresa, but in a diva kind of way, um, when she explains what her life's ambitions are. Also, Dominique, in regards to her success, we talk about foreshadowing, <laughs> like Martin Luther King had a dream, I have a dream too, and I'm going to be like Donald Trump. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yes. The final quote that I want to point out from this cycle is uh, Amis, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Uh, she says, gay love is better than straight love. I hate me and my boyfriend. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, so uh, cycle 11, uh, the winner here is McKay Sullivan. Um, and then the runner up is Samantha Oh my Potter. God, McKay. Yes. Yes. I had forgotten all about McKay. Um, Same. And then, yeah. And the third place was Annalie Tipton, who I think has been probably, maybe not if the, the most successful contestant on ANTM, but certainly so, one of the most. If you look up most successful top models, she is like two or three, I think, just because of her her later success in acting, kind of like Yaya. I think her and Yaya are like the most successful ones. For sure. She would go on to star in Crazy Stupid Love, Warm Bodies. Um, also, she's in that movie Two Night Stand with Miles Teller, which I refuse to watch because I don't like Miles Teller. Um, and that Whit Stillman movie also called, it's called Damsels in Distress with Greta Gerwig, which I saw a long time ago. The first half of the competition takes place in LA and then they uh, international destination was Amsterdam and the promotional song was when I grow up by the pussycat dolls. <laughs> this is a standout season for me because the crop of contestants was super strong. Another notable moment. This is the first season to feature an openly transgender model, Isis King. I, during my research, found out that Isis was living at the Al Forney Transitional Living Program when she learned about an upcoming photo shoot for AMTM. She asked uh, Jay Manuel when she was in uh, uh, doing the photo shoot whether or not she could be accepted as a girl born in the wrong body, quote, and if she were to audition as a contestant for the program during the photo shoot. And then afterwards, Tyra had her staff search out for Isis to encourage her to audition based on her performance in that photo shoot. And of course, she had to deal with quite a bit of homophobia, notably from Clark and from Hannah White, which is just super shitty, uh, but good for Isis for being like such a trailblazer. Um, for cycle 11, I think most of the models for me were pretty great. Like nothing in terms of like drama. I don't remember there being too much of that. But then the next cycle, cycle 12 is really where I drop off personally, or because uh, this is really the last one I watched completely. So the winner is Tiana Anderson. And then the runner up, which I know you're, you're going to talk about her later is Allison Harvard. And the, uh, this cycle would have a catchphrase, get in the fold which just what? makes it sound like I like I the think fold of the magazine. Yeah, I guess I don't know. The promotional I mean, it's song bad. It's is very bad. bad. It doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. It means nothing. It just honestly, when I think of a fold of a magazine, I think of like the Vanity Fair cover I photoshopped for our Instagram account, and how if you open the fold, there's Raven and Lindsay Lohan. Um, that's really all I former can think of. former roommates, Raven Simone and Lindsay Lohan. But hey, Emily. Totally. <laughs> Hey, Emily, just bling it on, okay? It's like not a big deal. bling it on. <laughs> the Cycles promotional song is Lady Gaga's The Fame. Allison, Harvard, where to begin? I mean, again, I will leave most of this to you, but Margot, I will tell, like, 
Jesus, if you ever wondered what a creepy child from a horror movie looked like as an adult, you get Allison Harvard. I believe that was both the first and last time I ever heard someone wishing they could get nosebleeds because they think blood is beautiful. Celia is another person that stood out to me because her death stares were very intense, like kind of cross-eyed. Also calling out Talia for saying she didn't want to be there. Like that is not going to fare well for you, my friend. You are not going to win any friends in that house. And what's crazy is the beginning. I really did like Celia. Like I think she showed up. I want to say she did an episode of pot psychology with Tracy and Rich from Jezebel back when I like watched that and it was still on Jezebel, uh, Jezebel's site. Uh, she was very funny at the beginning. I was like, oh, in real life, I would hang out with this chick. But then she did that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's not going to win you any fans. After this, my final season I'm going to talk about is Cycle 13, which I really only watched a little bit of. Um, and this is the notable season because it's the Cycle's catchphrases. The lineup is five, seven and under, not the usual suspects. Book them. And it's like the, the picture, the promotional ad, like a <gasps> lineup. The fuck? That's not even like, that's a whole paragraph. I forgot I they know. did a short season. They're like, we're going to find a Kate Moss. I'm like, you're not going to find a Kate Moss. You're not going to so, find a Kate Moss. Book also, them. the that promotional is, okay. That whole, that sentence is so confused. It wants to do five, seven, and under, not usual suspects, book them. Like it's so many metaphors all sort of mixed into one and they're all bad. Yes. Wow. Okay. The cool. The, the, <laughs> the promotional song was Good Girls Go Bad by Cobra Starship featuring Leighton Meester, which I forgot Leighton Meester had a brief singing career. Um in terms of other notable things, I mean, Nicole Fox would win. Runner-up was Laura Kirkpatrick. This was, of course, the short people season where everyone's under 5'7". The villain edit went to Aaron Wagner. But really, this season is the one where, again, like I dropped off. I also forgot how weird Aaron's bleached eyebrows looked next to her bleached oh, hair, oh. which was in dire need of some purple shampoo. And I say this as like my bleached hair. Um, as a fellow bleached hair person, and I have like six inches of roots right now. But anyway, um, <laughs> she was an avid hair braider, which like she would give contestants some fascinating styles. And for some of the white girls, some borderline offensive cornrows. And even wrote <laughs> a song where she featured all of the contestants, including like talking about some of them farting and stuff. Really, this season, from what I remember, kind of bored me. Erin was a little bit fun, but she wasn't even that great of, an, of a villain. She was too busy hair braiding. I have a vague recollection of that, and I remember it being kind of weird. So I'm going to just breeze through some later years stuff. I'm not going to get into very much detail or else we will literally be here all day. So the later years, you know, I really do feel like the 5-7 we're going to find a Kate Moss cycle was sort of like the beginning of the insanity. There are a couple other like specialized seasons like later on Tyra in, you know, alas, gasp at relevancy decided to do like a US versus the UK kind of thing, which was like bonkers. Mm. They did an all-star season, which Allison Harvard did come back for and Lisa DiMatteo won it sort of um, by a chance because the original winner, I forget what her name is, but she had an amazing catchphrase because we all kept trying to tell her like she was, you know, not eloquent or whatever. And she wasn't professional. And she finally snapped back and said, I work at a bank. And it was for years. <laughs> I said that because it just made me laugh so hard. I don't know why. But anyway, that girl ended up 
posting that she went to Facebook. So she disqualified herself. And then that made Lisa the winner sort of in the end by accident. But Lisa's like, I'll take it. And is like so excited all the time. She didn't care. And then at one point, Tyra started to open it up even more. So there were men also included in it. Anyway, I'm going to blow through all of those. But those were like sort of like the big sticking points. So as the years have gone on, Tyra, as I as we like to say in Westworld, became sentient. She started to wake up from her reverie. And she started to realize that her vocab was funny and was like a thing that she could put on shirts and monetize. So she obviously famously made smile, smiling with your eyes a thing. Then there's, it gets more unhinged after this. So just, I hope you guys are okay. Booty tooch, which is sticking your butt out in a picture. Modeling H2T, which is modeling head to toe. Someone's boom, 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 which is a six pack ab. Um, oh God, but there was one more. Oh, damn it. I don't remember it now, but she had a lot of abbreviations that she was trying to make a thing and almost no one ever knew what she was talking about. Then ML, then Tyrus tried to start an MLM on America's Next Top Model called Tyra Beauty. And they made a promo music video where they had the model testants dancing around with various products. And I just remember the line, dab it, dab it, pat it, pat it. She also infamously gave us a beard weave on a man during one of the unit, the do dual sexes or battle of the sexes or however she phrased it uh later cycles then there was the book slash amusement park model land there was a social media and i put that in quotes correspondent brian boy who i wasn't really quite sure what his job was but the two cycles that he was present and they were taking feedback from facebook or whatever the only person that consistently gave feedback aka like videos of themselves was this woman with a parrot and she wouldn't necessarily ask a question or give feedback she would just like talk about the models and she was like openly thirsting after one of them it was very odd and the parrot in it really kind of like sent me over the edge because we all know not a bird person there was also the rita aura year singular and tyra was like ha they can't do this show without me and then vh1 was like bet and but then it wasn't very good so they added drew tarver from pace magazine who was fucking insufferable and he could not hold a candle to the legend that is jay manuel and they also added Ashley Graham, who I said was a really good late season judge. And they brought back Tyra. And, you know, it was sort of like a ramshackle version until it was finally canceled. They also let woman beater Rob Evans join the cast for one season. Um, Tyra blatantly thirsted for the first man to ever win ANTM, Keith Carlos, who was basically like a poor man's Tay Diggs. Famous contestants later on would be hot as fuck Niall DeMarco, who is also a activist for deaf and handicapped people and then winnie harlow who has vitiligo and is like a very huge model now and like knows drake and shit um other panel judge highlights stacy mckenzie who came in as the runway coach after miss j left she was really great again because she was a working model there's so much more i can get into um but you know the later years they're not that great but it's sort of funny sometimes i don't know it's it's one of those things that as it goes on you can kind of see them try to make it a thing like it was before, but it, you know, they're modeling for guests and that was like one of the prizes at some point, but then all of like the big names started to leave and it just sort of became kind of like, what are we even here for? And you would think moving to VH1, they'd get some better prizes because clearly uh, RuPaul's Drag Race has some good money prizes, but you know, Tyra's now on Dancing with the Stars. So all we have left to do now is talk about our former faves. I think I have like three or four. Yeah, I do too. And I'll keep it pretty quick. Here, I'll, I'll go first and we can, I guess, go back and forth. <laughs> um, so my first one is Kim Stoles. I mostly like Kim because she seemed like one of the contestants I'd hang out with in real life. 
and she's had one of the more interesting post-top model careers. After the show, she would later go on to be an MTV VJ and correspondent for MTV News. On June 24th, 2014, she published her first book, Unfriending My Ex and Other Things I'll Never Do. She later co-opened with Amanda Lee Dunn from The Real L Word, a bar club restaurant in New York called Dalloway, and okay. now works for Bank of America Merrill Lynch as a managing director. She also what? won the walk-on part on the TV show challenge, Like, and um, she ends up making an appearance on Veronica Mars because of that. So yay for Kim. I mean, she's, she just got married, I saw on Instagram, so... So, yeah, Kim's living a pretty good life. Uh, obviously, my fave is Shandy. She now is a DJ in New York, whatever that means. There was like a VH1. I mean, I don't know what that means like in 2020 is what I mean. Not, I don't know what that means like practically. But uh, there was like a special on VH1 a couple years after her cycle where they asked where are they now? And they did a couple check-ins and Shandy was one of them. And she got really into karaoke and chopped off all of her hair and was starting to become a DJ. But even before that, when they did the, what are, where are they now? What are they doing now? Um, episode after the finale for cycle two, she went back home and was working at Walgreens saving money before moving to New York and got back together with the boyfriend that she cheated on, but then they finally broke up. So I think that's probably for the best. She was a working model for some time, but, you know, I don't think it's it doesn't sound like from everything that I looked up that she is still doing that. But um, I, then I read something that truly floored me. So I have no choice but to just read it verbatim. In 2019, Shandy lost two toes to a, a timber jack in a logging accident while doing odd jobs in British Columbia. So I don't really know where that leaves me or her in a lot of ways. But, yeah, that's what Shandy is up to. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I, I guess. Next, <laughs> um, I think the next, the one I'm going to bring up is Eva, who is now Eva Marcial. Back then she was Eva Pigford. Um, Actually, also, I have a correction for you. She's Eva Sterling now. Ah, yes, because of the Real Housewives. Yeah. Um, so life after top model for her, uh, just fascinating. She ended, ended up show, starring, like much like Yaya, got a lot of acting credits. She did shows like Kevin Hill, Smallville, Everybody Hates Chris. She did Tyler Perry's House of Pain. She hosted BET's reality show, My Model Looks Better Than Your Model, as well as Rip the Runway. Then she ended up starring in a few music videos, including Baby by Angie Stone, 50 Cent's I Got Money, and Jamie Foxx's DJ Play a Love Song. She would then be uh, on a first season episode of Wild and Out, and uh, later in 2008, joined the cast of The Young and the Reckless as a young mother named Tyra Hamilton, coincidentally named Tyra. After a few months, her character was made a permanent character who had, she was just going to be, uh, you know, a couple, have a, a couple episode arc. Um, she ended up being nominated for a few NAACP image awards for outstanding actress in a daytime drama series. Um, and then she ended up winning a young Hollywood award. So she's gone on and done several movies. She hosted the first season of Oxygen reality series, Hair Battle Spectacular. Um, and then she's gone on most famously to be, uh, she was uh, competed in the first season of VH1 Scared Famous and then joined season 10 of The Real Housewives of Atlanta as a friend of NeNe Leakes and was promoted to a full-time cast member for season 11. And she quit recently this year. Ah. After Portia said to her during their Zoom reunion, them titties be social distancing, bitch. So, you know, that'd make me want to quit too. My 
Second favorite is Danielle Evans, who goes by Danny Evans now, but on ANTM, she famously didn't want to close the gap in her teeth. And as I'd mentioned earlier, because everybody is stuck in here, people have been rewatching ANTM and people kind of came for Tyra the way that she sort of bullied Danielle into closing her gap and telling her that it would be a detriment and all this sort of mess. And so Tyra had to very recently issue an apology for her comments. And Danny posted like an Instagram video about how it's it all worked out in the end, etc. She has no hard feelings. So after the show, she signed with Ford as it was part of her prizes. But then she would go on to sign with Elite Model Management and then Click Model. She was a cover girl for a full year. They did cover girl commercials. They did like a little online show called My Life as a Cover Girl during the fall of 2006. And she posed with fellow cover girl model Queen Latifah. And then her modeling credits, because she is also featured right up there with like Annalie Tipton and Yaya and everybody else who was actually a very successful model post ANTM. Yeah. So she shot with L, L Girl, Jewel, In Touch Weekly, Essence, 17, New York Post, Astro, Sephora, Couture, Venus, Metro Style, Tory Burch, Saks Fifth Avenue. She walked in the runway shows for Victor and Lucino, Baby Fat, Zang Toy. And she also walked, ripped the runway with a bunch of other ANTM contestants in 2007, although she was the only winner that walked that season. She also made a guest appearance in Cringe, Chris Brown's 18th birthday t- uh, birthday party special on MTV. Yikes. She was also, yep. I mean, you know, 18th. So this was like a while ago. That we doesn't really yeah. age well, but that's where she, yeah. that's where you might see her if you are watching that for whatever reason. She was also featured in Victoria's Secret's Pink Catalog. She was featured in uh, Sports Illustrated. She currently lives in New York and founded Monroe, which is a unisex line of ready-to-wear hats. And she, like I mentioned, is one of the most successful models to come out of this. My final person, I was going to go with Takara at first, but she's who's done very well for herself. Um, but the one that I find most fascinating from a like, where are they now is Melrose Bakerstaff, who apparently lived in San Francisco as recently as 2014. But she's hmm. now in Bonita Rose, Florida, according to LinkedIn, and is also, like Kim, a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch, although Kim's like a heavy director. So I'm, I'm sure Kim's making significantly more money. I had forgotten that uh, in her season, one thing that really stood out to me that she dressed up as Donald Trump for one of the challenges. And her Uh, Donald Trump is not far off from the real thing. I think, again, Melrose robbed, um, but really fascinating for me to see that she is gone from San Francisco to Florida and is now a financial advisor. I also watched her do a talk kind of similar to a TED talk, but kind of lower rent in San Francisco online on YouTube. And uh, she just was kind of talking about how models, you know, tie themselves to charities and stuff. It was kind of incoherent. But anyway, I like Melrose. It was fun to see what she's been up to. My last fave is Joni Dodds, obviously. She signed with a bunch of agencies throughout her career, but eventually she gave up modeling around 2010, but would still go and visit colleges and universities to talk about her experience on America's Next Top Model and being a model. But around 2010, she served as a co-host and carpenter on Run My Renovation, an interactive home improvement show for the DIY Network, alongside John DeSilva. And I found out that Joni is actually a licensed contractor. She currently works as a carpenter on the TLC show Trading Spaces. According to her Instagram, she's a maker, educator, carpenter, handywoman, dog mom, and TM Cycle 6 alumni, and the host of the Little Bit podcast. But I would like to also give a shout out to Ann Ward, 
who got hella fucking lost in Italy and cried by a fountain. That was iconic. She was one of my favorite. Also another one of those similar to Shandy, like tall, willowy, weird kind of girls that you're like, she's a model like immediately. Oh, yes. And then I forgot we were going to talk about my personal connections. Well, I don't really I don't really know Alice in Harvard, so I can't really speak to it. But she was a big like Tumblr and MySpace person. So even before my high school boy, my high school boyfriend's friend dated her, I was sort of already sort of familiar with her because I wouldn't say they're necessarily like into spooky shit, but like she has sort of like a Mark Ryden aesthetic, if you know who that is. And so she used to do these, like, I mean, before there were influencers, there was Alice in Harvard who like posted photos of herself and did absolutely nothing, but had like a bunch of followers. And so she'd have like poems with like moody photos. And I don't really know how else to describe it other than like, you just had to be a girl between the ages of 14 and 19 during 2004 to 2008 like you are listening to the tin tings and you are looking at Alison Harvard's tumber like I don't really know how else to put it other than that <laughs> and then I also have like a slight personal connection meaning that I met her literally once to Ebony from cycle five again another ex-girlfriend of a friend's friend and she came out and like talked a bunch of shit about Tyra one night when we went to a bar with our fake IDs. Uh, but she was fine. I mean, whatever. She had like recently, recently gotten eliminated from that show and was not happy. And that's all that we have. I wish there was like a fade out like, na, 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 na. <laughs> but that's all we got for America's Next Top Model. We'd like to say thanks for coming back to season four and listening to this episode that I'm sure will not be very short. Like a lot of our super deep dives into things that have long histories, it's, you know, you end up talking about it for an hour and a half and between two mics, because that's how much you talk about it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. But if you're not listening to this on Apple Podcasts, if you have an Android, we're on whatever android apps you told me this and we're also on stitcher oh, yeah. and spotify you can also follow <laughs> us on instagram we're at the old millennials pod and we also have a blog on medium where we write about some of the stuff that we talk about and sometimes we just like write about the stuff that we want to talk about that we can't talk about on the show because it's not very interesting <laughs> or maybe wouldn't be a very interesting episode but it's fun to just write about and you can find us on medium at old millennials pod and we're also on Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Marg wrote, And I'm at Emily A. Bijan. And until next week, we say bye-bye. Bye. bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.